tonight we're going to be thinking about the third uh, commandment, um, taking the Lord's name in vain. Before we do that, let's bow our heads and pray together once more and ask for the Lord's help. Father, please do not leave us to ourselves. We ask for your help because we recognize that without you, we will not learn anything tonight. And our hearts, they won't be changed. Our lives, they won't be impacted. Holy Spirit, come, minister to us. Show us Jesus Christ and glorify him in each one of our lives. We ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. I want to start by reading uh, some lines from a very famous play. Um, hopefully you'll, well, some of you may know what these uh, lines are and from what play it is. Tis but thy name that is my enemy. Thou art thyself, thou not a Montague. What's Montague? It is not nor hand, nor foot, nor arm, nor face, nor any other part belonging to a man. Oh, be some other name. What's in a name? That which we call a rose, by any other name, would smell as sweet. So Romeo would, were he not Romeo called, retain that dear perfection which he owes without that title. Romeo doth thy name, and for that name, which is no part of thee, take all myself. These lines, of course, of course, come from Shakespeare's famous play, Romeo and Juliet. The story is about two lovers whose romance is forbidden because they come from rival families. He's a Montague, she's a Capulet. If only they were called by something else, they could be free to love and live together. But as Romeo and Juliet find out, names are not so easily discarded. What's in a name? Well, more than we think. While it's true that a rose would still smell sweet, even if it wasn't called a rose, would roses really be as popular if they were called corpse flower or lung wart, really? I doubt they would be. And parents, they understand that one of the most important things they do for their children is one of the first things they do for their children. Give them a name. Most parents take this responsibility very seriously. They get out the, the big baby book names they, they Google the most popular names from that year or, or the, the previous few years. They, they look at names from every possible angle to see whether their, their boy or girl could be ridiculed or made fun of for the name that they give them. They go to the Bible to, to look at the most obscure names that they haven't heard of, that nobody ha has heard of. It's taken very seriously. In my, in my parents' case, uh, when I say my parents' case, I mean my dad. He named me after his biggest role model, King William, Prince of Orange, 
otherwise known as King Billy. Um, you, you can maybe see him if you go to Belfast. Apparently he's on some wall. Um, William, first name. Coupled with that, uh, my dad, he must have just asked the question, what name would the queen be proud of? And he went for, for Alexander. And that'll do. Tie that all together. You have William Alexander Richardson. What a, a glorious name. All that to say, names matter to us big time. And as it turns out, names matter to God. So far, we've seen uh, from the first commandment that the worship of false gods, it's prohibited. We can kind of understand why that's a big deal. You can't go around worshiping the, the, the wrong or the false god. The second commandment prohibited worshiping God in the wrong way. That makes sense too. An invisible God has the right to determine how he is to be made visible or not. But if we're honest, when we come to the third commandment, we feel like we can maybe let our guard down just a little. Watch what you say. Don't swear. Be careful with OMGs. Got it. The third commandment feels less like a, a bedrock principle. It feels more like a good reminder. But if we think that violating the third commandment is a light offense, we're, mista we're mistaken. What do we read in Leviticus 24, 16? Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as the native. When he blasphemes, the name shall be put to death. This clearly shows the severity of this sin. This is no light thing, no light matter in the eyes of God. So what exactly is forbidden by the third commandment? We're going to ask three questions. The what? the why, and the how. What is exactly forbidden by the third commandment? Well, the word vain, taking the Lord's name in vain, it can mean empty, worthless, or to no good purpose. And what that means is we are forbidden from taking the name of God, or bearing his name, as it could be translated, in a manner that is wicked, worthless, are for wrong purposes. Wicked, worthless, are for wrong purposes. Now, now, don't get me wrong, this doesn't mean we have to be on edge or avoid using God's name altogether. The name Yahweh, Lord, in most translations, it appears 7,000 times in the Old Testament. I think it's fairly clear that, that we don't have to be superstitious or worried about using the Lord's name, but we must not misuse it. In the Old Testament, it identifies several ways in which the third commandment can be violated. Most obvious is to blaspheme or curse the name of God. We've already seen that from Leviticus 24, 16. But there's more to it than that. The Old Testament also forbids empty or false oaths. Leviticus 19.12 says this, 
You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. When you make a a declaration swearing by God's name, it must not be a, a false promise, one that you don't intend to keep. It also prohibits false visions and false claims that speak on God's behalf. What do we read in Jeremiah 23, 25? For such prophets prophesy falsely lies in my name. Those are just a few ways that the Old Testament talks about how we take the Lord's name and use it in vain. But I guess the question really is, why? Why is it so terrible to take the Lord's name and use it in vain? Think about it. There are only 10 commandments. Only 10 words to summarize everything that God wants us to do or live by as we seek to be obedient. How did watch your mouth How did God's name come into it? Why is that such a big deal? Well, I want us to think about a few different passages. Firstly, Exodus 3. God speaks to Moses from the burning bush. I'll read it to you. Moses asks God, he asks him this. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. What does God do in this passage? He names himself as the sovereign, self-existent one. His name matters. It says something glorious about him. We see the same thing in Exodus 33. Moses comes to God and he says, God, show me your glory. Show me your infinite worth, your infinite value. Show me your infinite beauty. Show me it. Show me your glory. What's God's reply? He speaks his name. Verse 19, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. How do we see God's glory? How do we know who God is? By his name. To know the name Yahweh, the merciful and gracious one, is not merely to know something about God. It is to know God himself. He shows himself by speaking his name. And we can understand that our names, they mean something to us. Think about us. Our names are not disconnected to our being. It marks us. It identifies us. Over time, as people get to know us, our name embodies who we are. Think of someone you love deeply. 
parent, a friend, a spouse. The name of that person represents more than a markings on a page. When someone says, Rachel Richardson, I am overcome, that's my wife by the way, I am overcome with good thoughts. Why? Because I cannot separate my wife from her name. A whole flood of emotions, experiences, joys, and desires comes to me at the sight or sound of those seven letters put together in that name. I'm not sure what she would say about me, but to be honest, I don't really mind. Uh, it's good to be punching. But names are precious. They're precious to us, which is why we don't like our names being ridiculed. We don't like them being twisted or made fun of. To be honest, I, I, I have a name that, it, well, it really hasn't been made fun of uh, too much. I just have a whole pile of nicknames. Um, I wouldn't really call them insults, to be honest. Pal, sauce, big fish, my boy. <laughs> I don't really feel insulted when someone calls me pal or worst, big fish. Whatever that means, I have no idea. Um, I think I can survive with, with those nicknames. But what we don't like, you may know the feeling when someone says something nasty about your name or actually gives you a name that is insulting. We don't like it. We really don't like it because it, our name, it matters to us. But the reality is that nicknames given to us, names that are, are used to insult us, they're one thing. But a reverent use of God's name is another. Everywhere in Scripture, his name is exalted. It's made great in the highest possible way. Psalm 8 verse 1 says this, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 29 2, ascribe to the Lord the glory due, what? His name. Matthew 6 9, it's the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed, glorified be your name. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 to 11. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why does this commandment matter? Because God's name matters. The Bible does not want us to forget the importance of God's name. And that leads us back to the how. The how of this commandment. How are we to actually keep this commandment? Well, I want us to, to think about how we might do that in our own lives by thinking about what we should not do. And really, there's, there's going to be two points. We violate the third commandment, we break the third commandment when we take up the name of God in service of what is false and secondly, what is frivolous. Firstly, let's think about what is false. When we use God's name to give our ideas, our plans and our opinions a false sense of authority, we violate the third commandment. 
Take politics, for example. We ought to be very sure, very sure, that the Bible speaks clearly about our, our preferred political policy or a new cultural hot take before we insist that every Christian must believe and follow what we do. Think about dating. God told me we were meant to be together. God told me I'm meant to minister to this girl or this guy. What about mission? What about ministry? God told me to go to that place. God told me I'm meant to do this ministry, whatever. Now, I'm aware that some Christian circles, they, they use that language casually without claiming you know, God's name, divine authority over everything. And the reality is God does talk about dating. He does talk about mission. He does talk about ministry. He does that through his word. But we must be careful that we don't slap the name of God onto the back of our plans just because we want something to happen, just because we like this girl or this guy. What about church leadership? The Lord has appointed leaders. I'm sure you're all in in the local church, or most of you are part of a a local church. That's what God calls us to. Uh, And in your local church, the Lord has appointed leaders, elders, to be in a position of authority, to make decisions on your behalf. And we should respect those. We should trust those. However, we also must be careful that when we hear our leaders speak from the front, that we just don't go accepting everything they say. I say that because I am a leader of a a local church, or one of the leaders in a local church, and there's a danger that I can disobey this commandment. Say our church starts, the church that I'm a part of, say it starts a new ministry. Say I want to start this new ministry. I want people to be involved. It's easy for me to get up and say something like this. We've prayed about this. God has given us a chance to do this ministry. God wants this ministry to succeed, to succeed, but we need you to come and participate. Will you be obedient to the Lord as we follow him? That's not fair for me to say that to you. I can't claim divine authority for a program or for a ministry or given to a building fund for toxic. I can't get up and say the Lord wants us to, to have this building, but it depends on you. It depends on you giving more. Will you come and give more? Will you be obedient to the Lord's call in your life? Now, what I can say is something like this. We as leaders have sought the Lord We've spent a lot of time thinking about different programs and ministries. And we feel as your leaders, this is the right move for the church. We think God will be honored. He'll be glorified if we move forward in doing this together. The difference between those speeches, it's subtle but significant. And one author puts it well, he puts it like this. A more serious way to break the third commandment is by using God's name to advance our own agenda. 
Some Christians say, the Lord told me to do this. Or worse, they say, the Lord told me to tell you this. This is false prophecy. God has already said whatever he needs to say to us through his word. Of course, there is the inward leading of the Holy Spirit. But this is only an inward leading. And it should not be misrepresented as an authoritative word from God. Why is this so important? Why do I bring this up? Because someday you could be asked to give to something. You could be asked to be involved in something. And for God's name to be attached on it, to make you feel guilty, to go and be involved in that or to give to whatever it is, is not how God wants his name to be used. It's unfair for leaders, for me, to guilt people, to guilt you into certain things for my own agenda. When that happens, we claim absolute divine authority for our human plans and decisions. And it's violating the third commandment. Violation two. We also break the third commandment when we use the Lord's name carelessly. Jesus himself warns against vain repetition. He says this in Matthew 6, 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Now, got to be clear here. Jesus, he doesn't want to frighten you Christians. He doesn't want to frighten us when it comes to, to prayer. He knows we'll always be working out how we should, should speak to him. But Jesus' concern, it's not for, for polished words. It's for purity of heart. He doesn't want us to think that we get more points if we pray, if we pray really nice, nice prayers with, with really long phrases. Father, I affirm pre-redemptive special revelation. I eagerly await the eschatological manifestation of Jesus Christ. I delight in the epoch of the Noahic covenant to which common grace was extended to all men. We don't get more points for praying prayers like that. You probably don't even know what I said there or what that means. That's a really good thing. But God doesn't like us or love us anymore because of prayers like that. And it's not only prayers, but using words such as God or Jesus Christ as curse words. That's careless. It's a careless way of using God's name. I know modern, modern swearing, it's, it's different to, to Old Testament swearing, but it still says something about our attitude towards God if we use his name lightly and carelessly. He's our creator. He's our sustainer. He's our savior, our judge, our king. The God of the universe should not have his name tossed out flippantly as an expression of shock, outrage, or anger. And not only in anger, but in our lighthearted joking. We can often be inappropriate in how we joke using the Lord's name. Say we spill our coffee. What do we say? Thank you, Jesus. Is that really taking care 
of the Lord's name. We violate the third commandment when we use it falsely and carelessly. I wonder what your response to all of what has been talked about is. Maybe as you sit here and listen, you realize that as a follower of Jesus, you have broken this commandment. Maybe even today. You realize you haven't lived in ways that Jesus would want you to in regards to his name. And as you sit here, you you may feel pretty terrible. You may be saying to yourself, I really struggle with this. And you may even be questioning whether or not you're a Christian based off your performance of keeping the Lord's name in a way that is glorifying to him. Well, if you're feeling guilty, ashamed, you're feeling like a second-rate Christian right now, I want you to hear the words of Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. You and I, we have been forgiven for all past, present, and future sin. All past, present, and future shortcomings in this area. We have been forgiven. The good news is you're not a Christian based off your performance in this area. You're not a Christian based on how good you are. You're a Christian based on what Jesus Christ has done for you. If you have trusted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for your sin, then you're a Christian. And there is no condemnation, no judgment, no guilt for you right now if you're in him. And so I want to encourage you not to dwell on feelings of guilt, of shame, or condemnation, but recognize that there is forgiveness in Jesus. You're forgiven in this area. But in light of knowing that you're forgiven, I want to urge you to obey this commandment. Not for God to be more pleased with you, but because this is the life that Jesus has purchased for you. When Jesus died, he took your sin and he bought, he placed his righteousness on you. He gave you his way of living for you to live in. I want to read the words of Colossians 3, 1 to 10. Paul talks about how we're now Christians, and then he tells us what we're not to do and then what we must do. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So we've been raised with Christ. We're to set our minds on things of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We've died with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. 
We now are meant to live in a way that pleases Christ. He's gave his life so that we might live like him. And here's what we're to do. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. If you are in Jesus Christ, you're called to do away with filthy language. You're called to live as your Savior did, who acted, who thought, who spoke in ways that only pleased his Father. That's our calling. In that same chapter, Paul writes this, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And it's in his name we do this. It's in his name we do it. Why? Because the reality is that you and I, we cannot keep this commandment by ourselves. We can't always speak in ways that are pleasing to the Father. We will break the third commandment if we look to ourselves and our own performance to do this. It's as we look to Jesus, to his example, it's as we nail our thoughts and our words to the cross and say, come Lord Jesus, lead me in living for you. Be my help and be my guide to do this commandment. To live in a way that would bring glory and honor to your name. To use my words that will be fit for creator, for you as creator, savior, and king. We need him. And the good news is he is willing and he is able to help us. The what, the why, and the how. May we look to King Jesus as we seek to obey this commandment for his glory. Let's bow our heads and pray to him.